Welcome to the Optimal CEO Podcast. This is Dr. Brian Brown. Join me on today's episode where we'll be discussing how I went from depressed and suicidal to naturally restored and ended a 16-year relationship with psychiatric medications. Here at the Optimal CEO Podcast, we help CEO entrepreneurs who love taking ownership of their wellness journey because they know it's their most prized investment. And when their state of wellness is at its peak, their income soars. We want to help relieve CEO entrepreneurs from the pressure of unnecessary health exposure so they can be highly focused on growing their business and physically optimized for the journey. So they can enjoy getting there. As I was sitting here at the office this morning, um, you know, caught a, caught the sunrise, which I usually do because I get to the office really, really early. And this time of year, it, it, the sun rises a little bit later. So uh, it was around six o'clock, uh, watching the beautiful sunrise, and I was reflecting on um, this podcast episode because um, I think there are a lot of people out there that struggle with depression and uh, suicide, and, and they're silently struggling. Um, I was one of those people that was silently struggling. So I kind of want to get into. Um, uh, this episode today and uh, really kind of delve into it. Um, last week I explained how I discovered at age 45 that I'd been dying every single night since age five and how the journey gave me a profound appreciation for functional and integrative medicine. I, I also discussed why a blended approach is the best approach to wellness and why many wellness gurus are simply off base when they tell you that their way is the only way because it's actually the availability of blended options that bring about wellness success in this complex system we call the human body. Today I'm going to continue my story and tell you how I found a way to get off of psychiatric medications after 16 years, which for those of you who don't know, um, a 16-year journey with psychiatric medications and to be able to come off of them is quite a feat. Um, most people end up staying on medications like that for life when they're 16 years in. Uh, but anyway, let's get started. Um, I, I've been practicing psychiatry since 1998, uh, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, I've treated children, uh, unfortunately, as young as age five, uh, something I'm not really proud of, but uh, it did happen. Um, and at the time, it's all I knew. Um, I was doing exactly the, what I was trained to do. I've treated adolescents, I've treated young adults, I've treated middle-aged adults and senior adults. As I'll explain in a, in a few more minutes, um, the bulk of my patients were middle-aged adults. Um, in that time, I've treated thousands of patients who were not content with life. Uh, if happy is defined as feeling or showing contentment, then I've certainly met a lot of people who were not content and not happy with life in their present situation. Uh, depression and anxiety are rampant in the Western world, yet the only answer that traditional medicine seems to have is in the form of developing the next latest and greatest magic pill. I've actually been one of those dis discontent, unhappy people myself. 
uh, all my life, I, my only desire was to be a doctor. Um, I, I'd kind of felt that way ever since I was a young boy. It's all I've ever dreamed of. It's it's all I ever talked about. And my family actually got sick and tired of hearing it. Um, and, and it's literally what I had my sights set on through my entire uh, school career. Um, I wanted to help other people and was really kind of hardwired from birth to be uh, very empathic and, uh, and a caring individual. Also, in my mind, um, it was a way for me to find some happiness. Um, I developed a hardworking nature right from the start. Uh, so hard work was not uh, something that I ran from. I started mowing yards when I was about nine years old, um, really and truly an entrepreneur. I remember a fundraiser one time that we did for the Muscular Dystrophy Association, and I won. And in our town of about 45,000 people, all the schools, all the elementary schools were involved, and this was like a fourth-grade event. Uh, in fourth grade, um, I beat everybody on door-to-door knocking and fundraising. So I've had that entrepreneurial spirit for a long time. Um, I've done everything from uh, flip burgers um, to uh, when I was 15 years old, I started that, uh, to changing oil at a gas station, to pumping gas at a gas station, patching flat tires, uh, washing cars, um, you name it, I've done it. I've even driven a gas truck very briefly, which was dangerous for a teenager. God only knows why they let that happen, uh, but they did. Um, I, I think probably, uh, well, I know I didn't have the license to do that, but I did it anyway because that's what my boss wanted me to do. Uh, that's a story for another day. Um, also worked at UPS unloading trucks when I was in college, kind of paid my way through college that way. Um and I've also worked as a service station attendant, you know, working behind the counter, uh, you know, through my college years. So not not immune to hard work. I'm thankful for those experiences because they've kind of gifted me with the work ethic and people skills that I have today. Uh, because of my hardworking nature, uh, the academic rigors of my, my professional training were actually second nature to me. Uh, as evidenced by the fact that I made straight A's all the way through high school, undergraduate, and graduate school. Um, my story actually begins in the spring of 1997 when um, I was uh, in my next to the last year of professional training. One of our lectures had uh, dismissed, and it was one of those long lectures. We were taking like a 30-minute break, and um, it was a beautiful spring day. Uh, the tulips were in full bloom in the park across the road, and I could go out on this third floor balcony uh, in our in our lecture hall building um, and and just kind of get the fresh air, enjoy the tulips, and um, just kind of take a break from everything. Uh, I was literally right in the middle of my lifelong dream on on that third floor balcony that day. Uh, as I said, it was my next to the last year of professional training, but for some reason I wasn't happy. Uh, somehow happiness had eluded me. Um, I would later realize that by that point, I had actually been struggling with depression for about two years. And I would later learn uh, uh, on, on into my professional career that health professionals have some of the highest rates of depression and suicide than any other profession. As I stood there on that balcony, propped against the balcony railing and facing the street below, uh, I saw a dump truck speeding down the road in front of me. Um, as the dump truck approached um, on the street, you know, uh, uh, below where I was, 
I had this sudden flood of emotion uh, and, and felt all the blood rush from my head. Uh, I became really dizzy and the whole world around me began to kind of spin out of control. My, my heart was racing. Uh, I was overwhelmed with this pit of my stomach, nauseated feeling. Yet at the same time, I had a sense of immediate relief and heard a small voice whisper, it's over now. It, and crazy thing is, is, is it wasn't a horrific voice, it was a peaceful voice. Uh, you see, as that dump truck approached, it, as it was speeding by on the street below, I experienced all the sensations of being thrown over the railing into the path of that oncoming truck. Uh, I had actually envisioned throwing myself over the railing. Uh, all of this happened in, in a matter of seconds, in a split second, actually. I still remember uh, the feeling that I had to this day. I also remember in that split second not knowing whether it was actually happening or it was all just a dream. Uh, sadly, part of me hoped it was real. When I came to my senses and realized that it was all a dream, it was a vision, it scared me. It, it, it literally rocked me to my core. I, I immediately had flashes of my beautiful wife and my two beautiful daughters who were three and six at the time. Um, and then guilt and shame set in. Uh, I started beating myself up. You know, how could I have such a vision? How could I even feel hope that it was actually happening? What was wrong with me? I left the balcony that instant and, and never stepped foot out there again. I was so ashamed. I, I didn't even tell anyone what happened uh, for about 20 years. I know that sounds crazy, but I didn't. I didn't tell anybody about that incident. Uh, incident. Uh, and, and it wasn't until about a year later um, that I confided in a, a professional peer, a colleague, that I had struggled with depression and anxiety. Now, she was also a psychiatric professional, and we kind of do medical courtesies for each other, uh, and we'll cross-treat each other. So um, she volunteered to give me a medication, and uh, she didn't do a thorough history, which a lot of times uh, we're guilty of not doing with each other. Uh, she didn't ask about suicidal ideation, and I sure as heck didn't tell her about it. And I sure as heck didn't tell her about the dozens of times that I'd been driving and had uh, avoided the impulse to kind of swerve my vehicle into the path of oncoming traffic. Um, she put me on Prozac. And it was at that time I began the 16-year journey into the world of chemical happiness. I've often reflected why I went on Prozac in the first place. The only conclusion I can draw is that I was new in my profession. Uh, in, the, in the field of psychiatry, and it just made sense. It, it was the way I was trained. I told myself, Brian, why wouldn't you do this? It's the way you would treat your patients. Uh, some people get their chemical happiness fixed through drugs and alcohol. Um, others, like me, uh, get their fix through antidepressants. That's how I rationalize it. Uh, isn't it funny how we as humans will find a rationalization for most anything that we want? or anything that we're doing just to make sense of it all. That's exactly what I did. But I don't beat myself up about it too much uh, today. Uh, it, it was my journey, and uh, my knowledge was limited at the time, and um, I made the decision uh, the best way I could. I guess you can say 
I wasn't uh, enlightened as I am now. Uh, and I use the word enlightenment very loosely because um, we're constantly in a, in, a, in a space of being enlightened. Our knowledge and wisdom is co- constantly growing as we learn more and more. I think we should be perpetual students and be on a constant path of enlightenment and learning uh, new ways of doing things. And I would even add that, um, you know, my journey uh, has allowed me to help so many other people. Had I not been on that journey, uh, I, don't, I don't think I would have had the insight and depth of knowledge and understanding and empathy to really help people on that journey themselves. So in a strange way, I think the journey had to happen that way. Um, and again, there's another rationalization for it all. Now let's get back to uh, the rest of the story. Uh, in the course of 16 years, I literally tried nine different psychiatric medications in the pursuit of chemical happiness. Uh, medications like Prozac and Zoloft, uh, Celexa, Lexapro, Wellbutrin, Buspar, Lamictal, Stratera, and Provigil. None of these gave me the happiness I wanted. In fact, uh, they actually made me feel really numb. Uh, I couldn't feel anything. I had no emotion. And on top of that, I gained 170 pounds. You heard me correct. I gained 170 pounds. Um, I don't know that I can fully attribute all of that to the medication, but the medication certainly didn't help. And um, at 390 pounds, I guess you can say kind of tongue-in-cheek, I was fat and chemically happy. Uh, Again, I would use the word happy very loosely. Over time, I grew to hate the very pills that were supposed to make me feel better. And yes, I use the word normal very loosely. More than anything, I wanted off of these medications. I tried a number of times to stop taking them, and I failed every single time. Uh, The withdrawal side effects were were not fun. Um, This is a little sidebar, but do you know that uh, pharmaceutical companies that make these medications will tell you that they're not addictive? I laugh every time I hear that. Uh, In the purest sense of the definition, you know, maybe not. Uh, But in reality, when you're the person living through it, definitely so. When you try to stop these medications and have symptoms like rebound depression, rebound anxiety, um, and rebound just simply means it's worse than it was before uh, you even started the medication. So rebound depression, rebound anxiety, nausea, headaches, irritability, and this is just to name a few. There's no doubt in my mind that these drugs are causing addictive symptoms or withdrawal symptoms would be a better way of putting it. Um, Unable to effectively get off these medications, I repeated that vicious cycle of finding the next pill that I hoped would work over and over again. Um, And and I was just, I was trying to get the, the, the pill with the best effect with the lowest side effects. And uh, I never, I never found it. And and speaking of side effects, they're horrible. Uh, depending on the drug, you can be excessively sleepy and want to sleep all the time, or you can't sleep at all. It's really weird. And and what's even more weird is the same medication, one medication could do both of those. You can start out in your first six weeks of treatment and be the sleepiest person ever. And you just want 12 to 15 hours of sleep a day. You're groggy during your waking day, even when you're awake. 
And then um, six to 12 weeks later, all of a sudden it's a, it's a flip-flop opposite of that. And you can't sleep at all. No matter what you do, lay down at night, your eyes are just wide open. Your mind won't cut off. And um, that's a problem. Uh, you can have uh, other side effects like nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, headaches, increased appetite, loss of appetite, anger, uh, rage, irritability, uh, decreased libido, no libido, erectile dysfunction, and these are just some of the common side effects. Oh, oh, and, and don't let me forget, yawning, yawning is terrible. People will actually stop you and ask you, um, why are you so tired? You're yawning all the time. And you're thinking in your head, well, it's one of my medications, and, but you don't say that out loud because you don't want people to know you're on medications because you're ashamed of the fact that you're having to take medications. Um, regardless of what we want to think in society, um, being depressed and having to take medications, either one of those, even if you're not on medications and you're still depressed, it carries a stigma with it today. And if you see somebody in this, in the mental health field, it still carries a stigma with it. Uh, during my personal, uh, 16 year journey into quote unquote chemical happiness, um, unfortunately I was treating patients the same way I was being treated. Um, with the same exact medications, uh, they were dealing with the same side effects and they were dealing with the same withdrawal symptoms. But you know what? I followed the mantra of my professional training and just accepted that this was the way things were supposed to be. Again, I rationalized it with another professional mantra that we were offering the very best treatments available at the time. After all, what other treatment options were there? How, how naive was that when I look back to say what other treatment options were there? But it's where I was at the time. Uh, during that time, I mostly treated patients who were in their mid to late 30s and older. Um, they would come into my office. They would sit down for that first initial visit. Uh, they would tell me that they're feeling depressed. They're sad. They're crying all the time. They're unhappy. Uh, some of them would have reasons to feel that way, like a, a recent loss or uh, of, of some kind, or a major change in their life. Um, but even at that, many of them would follow that statement of why they were there with, but I know it's not depression. It's got to be something else. It's got to be some kind of chemical imbalance. And most of the time, they would follow it with a laundry list of psychiatric medications that they had tried, and none of which had worked kind of like kind of like my personal story. Uh, so I could relate to them without even telling them and crossing that boundary line of saying, oh, well, I've been there, done that. Uh, and I never, I never did that. Um, uh, then one day around the age of 40, you know, I, I turned 40. It dawned on me, um, maybe my patients were right all along. Uh, I, I'd started uh, feeling the, the pinch of midlife and I had already gained the weight, uh, uh, put on an extra 170 pounds. Uh, I had started kind of working on it. I'll talk more about that in the next podcast um, about, about the weight loss journey. But um, it, it, a few years prior, I'd, 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 I'd started losing weight and I'd done really well. And then 40 hit and I started putting weight back on. I blame the antidepressants because it was just so hard to get the weight off. Uh, harder than than my friends who were working out along alongside me and I knew were not on medications 
at the time. The only thing I could think was when, when I was going through this is, you know, maybe my medical training had failed me. Um, maybe the pharmaceutical industry had lied to me. Uh, maybe there were answers outside of traditional medical approaches. I had to find a different way of doing things. From that point forward, I made it my mission to become a student of the best alternative therapies that a person could, could use to physically and emotionally regain happiness from the inside out. Now, believe me, I knew that walking down this road could mean committing professional suicide. You see, I'd been practicing psychiatry for years now. I was a company man. I spoke for numerous pharmaceutical companies. I talked the talk and walked the walk. I believed the lockstep answers fed to me in my medical training, and not ironically, the same answers were fed to me by the drug reps and pharmaceutical companies um, that, that, that work for those pharmaceutical companies that made sales calls at my office and the very pharmaceutical companies that I spoke for. And by the way, when you speak for a pharmaceutical company, um, uh, you know, I, I'm going to give you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. Um, you don't get asked to speak for a pharmaceutical company unless you're a high-volume prescriber. That's number one. That's the first thing you need to know. Secondly, uh, Big Pharma uh, has deep pockets, pockets deeper than um, you can imagine, and they're very persuasive. Thirdly, uh, when you come on board as a speaker for these companies, you go through a three to four day, sometimes five days, uh, in the early days, they would do those longer trainings, uh, indoctrination into why their medication is the latest and greatest, what your talking parts are, points are on refuting the competition. They were basically doing sales training with you is what it amounted to. But they were speaking to medical professionals, so they would quote-unquote back it up with the, the latest studies. Um, uh, that's a whole other topic for another day, and we'll get into that later. Um, they they prefer... You know, when 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 a when a pharmaceutical sales rep calls on you at your office, they provide um, uh, the prescriber with the most recent studies, and and I use studies loosely, uh, all of which happen to prove their point and sway prescribing in their direction. Uh, they're fully aware that prescribers are busy and have little time to do in-depth clinical reading of the professional journal that they've just been handed, or look at the the totality of literature, which is what you're supposed to do, and make a decision from the totality of literature, not just one study. But the proverbial rabbit hole goes deeper. All you have to do is, is follow the money. Uh, open up most any professional journal, and you'll find two to six page advertising spreads for this drug or that that drug. And, and the cost per ad on those rivals major secular publications, you know, outside of uh, the professional medical world. Uh, you're now seeing those same two, two to six page spreads in uh, reputable uh, secular magazines like Time Magazine and, and so on and so forth. Um, the, the same big pharma companies are the ones that pay, you know, $100,000 or more for a booth at a professional conference. Now, I give you these tidbits to let you know that the information medical professionals have at their disposal is somewhat tainted. In fact, I'd, I'd say I'd remove the word somewhat. I'd say it's very tainted. 
and the professional organizations that um, that uh, medical professionals are, are are members of are also tainted. Um, they've been corrupted by big pharma. I mean, you don't have to do the math very much to to look around a uh, an exhibit hall at one of the professional organization meetings and see that there are a hundred different pharmaceutical companies in that exhibit hall. Um, you know, touting their drug is the latest and greatest. And some of those that take up four, five, six uh, booth spaces, uh, they're paying $100,000, 150000 $250,000 per event uh, just to have that space. Uh, that's one of the big money makers for, for, these, uh, for these conferences. Uh, believe me, I'm an insider, uh, a former insider, rather, uh, a recovering insider. I've lived it. Uh, I've seen it firsthand. And as you may recall from uh, podcast episode one, uh, the numbers show it. Uh, the U.S. is almost in last place with health outcomes and almost first in healthcare spending. Uh, when are we going to wake up and recognize the disconnect here? Uh, but, but I digress. Uh, until this point, uh, you know, getting back to my story, I had been 100% st- sold on the fact that pharmaceutical drugs were the answer. Uh, but that day I had my epiphany, something inside me sta- snapped. Um, I was repulsed by all the lies propagated by big pharma. Uh, lies fed to me during my education and lies that led me down a path of unrest and lies that certainly didn't reverse my depression. I couldn't live like this anymore, and I couldn't keep poking pills down my own throat and down the throats of my patients either. You might say I had a professional midlife crisis. I refer to it as an awakening. I I remember resolving in my mind that I couldn't do this anymore. Either I was getting out of healthcare altogether, or I was going to reinvent myself. So I set out on a journey to find answers, and it came in the strangest of ways. While, ironically, I was away at a cardiovascular conference, um, the keynote speaker, uh, who was the world's foremost authority on cholesterol uh, management from Tufts University in Boston, said something that lit a spark in me. Uh, Here was a guy being paid big bucks by some pharmaceutical uh, big box brand to speak about cholesterol, uh, cholesterol treatment. Instead, what he did surprise the audience. His entire lecture was on natural treatment of elevated cholesterol. Now, I have to admit, I was in awe. Uh, As a former speaker for big pharma brands, I knew what it meant to do what he was doing on stage. He was committing professional suicide, and he didn't care, something that I later confirmed in a conversation with him. During that conversation, he also shared some insights that changed the course of my professional career. He pointed me in the right direction, telling me who I needed to study under to gain the knowledge and expertise that I needed. I immediately started seeking that education. In fact, I left the conference, went upstairs to my hotel room, looked up this guru, studied about him for a couple of hours, read everything that I could get my hands on that he had published, and... um, found out he had a conference the very uh, very next weekend and um, in, in Salt Lake City. Now, mind you, this is in the wintertime, and Salt Lake City in the wintertime can have some significant snow. I really didn't care. So um, I, I, I paid for the conference 
uh, right there. And then I booked my flight and I called my office and I said, I said, cancel all my patients. Uh, I'm going to be gone, uh, next Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'll be back in the office on Monday. I've got to go to a conference. Uh, after studying under, um, this guru, uh, that he recommended for less than three months, um, I literally closed my office practice down. I had never been so sure about something in all my life. I kept doing uh, inpatient work, obviously, you know, kids in private school and so on and so forth. I had to pay the bills, but I did not darken the door of my office for nearly a year and a half. Um, in fact, um, it, the, the economy was struggling at the time. I had difficulty renting it, and um, it just kind of sat there uh, collecting dust for, for a year and a half or nearly a year and a half. I went on to train under this uh, this guru for a total of three years. And during that first year of training, I began implementing the techniques that I was learning from him on myself. And guess what? I began to feel better. I began to lose weight and keep it off. My energy came up. My mood improved. I had stumbled onto something big. I eventually stopped my antidepressants completely in the spring of 2013. And finally, I was free. I had become what I refer to, passionately referred to, as an escape artist. I had escaped the confining boxes that big pharma and traditional medicine had me trapped in. It was a beautiful thing, but something still wasn't quite right. Uh, sure, I was off of antidepressants and happy for the first time in nearly two decades, but something was still off. Then it dawned on me. I had to share this with other people and help them become escape artists too. In my second year of functional and integrative medicine training, I reopened the doors of my office. This time, I wasn't practicing psychiatry. In fact, I was so turned off to traditional psychiatry that I didn't even want to be associated with it. And I was proud that I had escaped that box and was now beginning my journey to help others escape that box too. I laugh about it today, but it took me two years to realize that I never left psychiatry. I recall coming home one day and saying to my wife, guess what? I realized today that I never quit practicing psychiatry. I'm simply doing it differently. I'm doing it holistically. Always the voice of patient wisdom, my wife said to me, and I laugh about it. I was wondering how long it was going to take you to figure that out. You see, it wasn't enough for me to transform myself. I had to pay it forward. I had to share um, my, my secret with other people, a way to get out of the confining boxes that traditional medicine, big pharma, and others try to put us into. And that's exactly what I do today. Sure, my repertoire is far has far surpassed uh, natural mood treatment. In my office, we manage things like autoimmune disorders, obesity, nutritional deficits, PCOS, menopause, andropause, gut health issues, and thyroid dysfunction, and that's just to name a few. But since this episode is focused on the natural recovery from depression, I'll leave you with this. Throughout my years of traditional psychiatry and functional psychiatry, a few things have remained consistent. Research shows that women and men in their early 30s begin to experience a decline in hormone activity by as much as 1% to 2% per year, and this decline continues through the rest of their life. 
Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that according to the National Center for Health Statistics, women age 40 to 59 have the highest rates of depression over any other age group. In fact, that number is 12.3%. Also, uh, suicide rates among men are the highest in their 50s. And regardless of gender, those age 40 to 59 are the least happy when compared to every other age group. Sadly, with hormone disruptors in our diet and in our environment, we are seeing the ages for these statistics drop. So is hormone decline the cause of this depression epidemic in adults age 30 and over? I certainly think it's one of the main causes. In fact, since I've been practicing functional medicine, I've developed a very good track record at helping people avoid antidepressants and helping them come off of antidepressants all by natural means. And now that I have a functional medicine background, when I look at those in their late teens and 20s, I often find nutrition, diet, gut health, PCOS, and or thyroid issues as the cause for their mood issues. And now many of you listening to the podcast may have been struggling silently for years, or perhaps this is a new struggle. Either way, you need the help of a functional and integrative medicine provider because most likely your regular medical provider doesn't have the necessary information to help you take back control of your life. Don't be forced into boxes of an antiquated system that you have no business being put into, boxes that follow old, unchallenged treatment modalities. You can easily find yourself in a cycle of being bounced around from doctor to specialist to a new doctor, a new specialist, with different results every time, but none that clearly resolve your issues and none that clearly give you any answers. Sadly, when uh, traditional medicine can't find the answer to what ails you, it will typically use depression and anxiety as the default diagnosis box to put you into. If you don't take away anything else from this episode, I want, I, I want to leave you with this. I want you to be informed. I want you to know your options. And I want you to stand up for better alternatives and find your voice. Join me next time where I'll be discussing, I'll be talking about the last segment in my personal journey where I went from 390 pounds to fit without any diet pills. Here's to your personal wellness journey. May it be one with an open mind and may you become a highly optimized CEO entrepreneur. This is Dr. Brian Brown signing off. See you next time. I'd like to personally thank you for listening to this episode of the Optimal CEO Podcast. I hope you found today's podcast informative and helpful on your personal optimization journey. You see, we love our Optimal CEO entrepreneurs, and thanks to people like you, the Optimal CEO community is growing. You can help us with that continued growth by giving us a like, sharing this podcast with your friends, or subscribing to our podcast feed. This is Dr. Brian Brown. Here's to you being the most physically optimized CEO entrepreneur possible so you can have an even bigger impact on the world through your business. See you next time, and thanks again for listening.